Hello and welcome to Your Intention Matters, the podcast. My name is Paul Madot. Uh, today I have Michael Tuso, Director of Revenue Performance at Chili Piper up in the Bay Area. Michael, how are you? Great. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Listen, say hi to everybody in a quick intro. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my name is Michael Tuso. I'm the Director of Revenue Performance here at Chili Piper. Um, I've been here for uh, about two years or so, uh, basically scaling the team, uh, especially on the revenue side, from a zero to about 14 right now um, on the team. So it's been a really fun experience. Um, originally an East Coaster, so uh, I've uh, sort of crisscrossed uh, the Western Hemisphere, but um, I'm originally from the, the East Coast. Well, I appreciate you freeing up the time, and I'm looking forward to you sharing your story. You know, I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that we're recording this episode at a kind of unique time in the world right now. And we're all hunkered down and trying to do our best to, you know, figure out how we're going to manage this, this time period. And so uh, I know the the governor just ordered a, a lockdown in the state of California. And so how are you and your team, your family, everybody doing okay? And how are you managing, you know, this um, stretch of stretch of road right now? Yeah, it's definitely been uh, a trying and uncertain time for a lot of people um, adjusting I think kind of many different variables, not just uh, one. Um, you know, in, in my own personal experience, we, we are uh, making good good use of the time actually and trying to make the, the best of it. Um, we've set up multiple remote offices in, in our apartment yeah. here in, in the Bay area. So, um, so that, that's been interesting. And then as far as my team, um, we've structured time to uh, coordinate, not just with each other, but, um, you know, people that we care about, including, um, you know, customers we work with and, and professional colleagues outside of Chili Piper um, as well. So I, I think that, you know, the people I've spoken to are pretty, 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 pretty resilient and double downing on uh, things like connecting with one another has become important, sense of community, double downing on, on learning, um, and, and yeah, I think, I think that's, that's kind of how people are, are trying to do the best of what, what they have and, and adapting. Yeah. And I, and I, I'm glad to hear that. I think we're all in the same boat, you know, I'm trying to create a sense of normalcy and still, re- still respect the climate. And so, uh, I'm looking forward to you uh, sharing your story. So if you're ready, uh, I'm ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So let's go back to 2011, uh, UNC Greensboro, you uh, graduate uh, with a political science degree. Um, Michael, take me back. What was your vision at that time? Where did you think you would be in 2020 back in 2011? Oh, gosh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's an interesting perspective. Um, yeah, so I, I guess like graduating college uh, almost 10 years ago, yeah. I um, had just gotten back from Peru. I studied abroad for a semester in my senior year and then graduated roughly six months after that. Uh, and I knew that I wanted work experience, but I was unsure how that would unfold. And um, I kind of had the thought that I would go to graduate school, like a lot of the peers um, that I, I talked, talked to and worked with. And we were all doing this against the, the backdrop of, um, you know, the economy kind of rebounding, and yeah. but there's still like some uncertainty for people 
I think for me and my perspective, people without a lot of experience kind of had a, a tough time figuring out how to get their start in their career um, was my perspective. So it's kind of navigating that, but knowing that like if I ever did go to graduate school that um, I would first really want work experience. Um, and so I uh, networked into a, um, a job where I worked on many different political campaigns. So um, I had like a book of business and they were all political clients and my job was for them to win their elections and then post elections, get ready for you know future ones. Right. Um, we did have some private clients too, but the bulk of what I worked with were politicians. Uh, on local races so I provide consulting services to them so um but that was kind of my perspective on the uh on the onset of, of me graduating okay fair enough you know now you mentioned uh Peru if my wife ever listens to this podcast uh she's going to want to know how to get in touch with you because on her bucket list is Machu Picchu so uh she'll want to know how that was if, assuming you visited it during your time when you were in Peru yeah, uh, luckily our professors were pretty uh, lenient. Um, one of my professors was a, a former, like, very high government official in their treasury department. I specifically remember having a conversation with him about this trip I took uh, into the jungle. And we mm. basically, like, were in the jungle for, like, 10 days, which it was an incredible experience. And then... Uh, prior to that, we did a trip into Machu Picchu with our study abroad cohort that all lived together, um, mostly Europeans and Americans, and, and we would travel throughout the country together. It's a massive country, um, very, very eclectic, beautiful uh, country. There's a lot to see both at Machu Picchu as an incredible experience and outside of it. Mm. And, you know, the the culinary aspect of Peru, I think, is... Uh, is, is unmatched. So mm. I, I definitely recommend going there for that. They're, they're quite known for that. But um, yeah, I, I recommend the country highly. Yeah, she keeps telling me to save up my air miles. So uh, <laughs> so we'll see what we can create in a few years here. So uh, you all won't right, regret so it. I won't regret it. Right? Good, good to know. You know, so uh, it's interesting that you, you graduate in political science, then you start to establish a career in that in that vein, so to speak, you're, you're running campaigns, you're, you're kind of doing what you went to school for, there must be a passion there. Um, what was behind your decision to shift gears? Yeah, so um, after the after I was managing uh, several clients, um, my boss and one of the clients asked me to uh, manage uh, you know, I, I didn't even have a year of work experience at this point, and they asked me to manage a, a statewide political campaign. So that was in 2012, and it was the 2012 election uh, in North Carolina, a statewide political campaign for lieutenant governor at the time. You know, well, North Carolina is a, a very uh, contentious political state, and uh, I was like, sure, it's a huge, massive challenge. Let's absolutely do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, know and not the type of person that is you know shies away from challenge and i've always been that way since i was like young so uh no no training on you know fundraising or any of those like critical elements of a campaign and i just decided you know i'll try to build a team around me of experts and uh, go from there so that's what i did knowing that like i've had a knack for like execution so um 
So I basically did that uh, for 2012 and learned a tremendous amount about the inner workings of politics and um, how campaigns run. After the campaign, I had a trip planned to Europe with my best friend mm. and um, decided to like take some time off because like many people in the political world, like they bounce from campaign to campaign. And I knew that that wasn't for me. I, I tend to do things because I'm like really curious person. And like, I just wanted to know how a campaign works and like that experience that comes with it. And I knew that regardless of where my career and how it unfolded, that it would be helpful. And I was just like curious how it worked. That's why I did it. And it was like as simple as that. And then after the campaign, I was very like burnt out, <laughs> extremely burnt out. I'm I was sure. like getting in the office at 6 a.m. and le- leaving at like 1 or 2 a.m. every single day. <clears throat> and so, and and then the pay isn't great. And then there's, you know, benefits are hard to come by. And, and this aspect of like always looking for your, your next job, but like you are so busy that you don't really have time to think about that. So, um, so I thought about like the sustainability of that for me as a professional, isn't really, it wasn't really the way that I wanted my career to unfold. And so I decided, uh, I had a friend reach out to me and he's like, have you ever tried corporate tech sales? And really that was just kind of the, it actually started, <laughs> it, it actually started with him posting on Facebook. How the comment was just crazy to think about uh, 10 years later, but it started off a Facebook conversation, and I basically hit it off with the hiring manager like immediately after we were talking. The rest is sort of history. And what company was this? Citrix. Citrix. Okay, great. Citrix, well known organization, a strong value proposition. Uh, And so, how long did you stay with Citrix? Um, it was, I think, a little under about two and a half years. Two and a half years. Was that still on the East Coast? Yeah. So, um, here's the thing though, is the, uh, as with, uh, the kind of keeping with the theme of enjoying challenges and also enjoying, um, new, new kind of takes on doing things. I, uh, this particular program wasn't exactly a corporate job. Um, what they would be doing, what the, the sales role entailed was essentially what an SDR would be doing every day in the United States, except this was a work abroad type program that they had not really explored super in deep. Um, so they, <laughs> okay. they had sent Americans abroad uh, before, and it was kind of like an exchange program, uh, except you're, you're just sending um, Americans overseas. You're typically like fresh out of college. And so that was sort of the, the element there that was appealing to me. They had jobs in the office in North Carolina, but the part that was appealing to me was the working abroad element. And so that was ultimately what made me interested. And so we, I actually spent the next six months after the political campaign working in first Bolivia and then the next, six, the next year after that in Costa Rica. So I was basically an, an SDR, an SDR manager, exactly the same thing that you would do in those roles, but I did it from South America. Wow. And so America. that must have been a cool experience to, you know, two separate countries and it must have been a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it was absolutely like, it was like perfect for me because I was like, I'm getting, I'm gaining valuable work experience. Um, the people that I was sending back to the United States after they did their six month stint after managing would routinely break records and become top performers in closing roles after they were an SDR in that program. 
Um, and I, I think it had something to do with like the adversity of like kind of starting off your career and also like being in a foreign country and, you know, some of, and some of this like resourcefulness that you had to develop so that if you were successful, you tended to do really well when you got back, if you had the right training and support system was my theory. And I still hold that theory today. So it was fast, a fascinating experiment for everyone involved in that program. Well, that's that's pretty cool to hear. You know, what was behind your decision to then return stateside? Did you raise your hand or was it just part of the uh, standard progression within the company? Yeah. So when I inherited the team, it was doing OK, but not super great. And I really had this theory of like training and support being a central focus rather than strictly a you're on your own and like KPI focus. I what I was very like numbers driven in that, but I also uh, really intentionally focused on training and development. So, uh, I, I want to really focusing on that element. And at the end of that, um, I sort of was ready. Like I had been abroad now for a total of uh, non-consecutively, but two years mm. uh, between studying abroad and then working for a year and a half. And so um, I was like, okay, I think the travel bug is a little bit gone, although I don't think it ever will go away for me. And I was sort of ready for that next level professional experience. It was kind of like, okay, now I'm ready to go. Um, and it came from this idea I got from a, a book that a friend sent me when I was studying abroad. And it was um, uh, based on this concept of delaying the real world. <laughs> and so uh, I read the book and it had a heavy influence on me. And so it had all these opportunities in it and then when this opportunity came up for me I was like oh this is what the book is talking about I should do that but then at the end of this period I was like okay I'm ready to go back home and and, and go the more traditional route all right and so so you're in California now did you return to the U.S. to California or were you still on the east coast yeah so I I returned uh to the east coast and and then my one of my mentors accepted a position uh, at a uh, startup that was based in California. And then they opened an office in uh, North Carolina because that's where she was. And then she asked me to uh, join her team, and I did. And that's eventually how I got to California. Oh, is that right? Okay, so so you you followed a mentor of yours, uh, and and then uh, he sorry was it a, did she did, did you say she she okay she. So, so then she yeah, took she. she took us but to L.A. not to Northern California. Yeah, so I actually worked in L.A. at three startups in total, <laughs> and then um, <laughs> I, I've been in uh, the same startup. Uh, Chili Piper the entire time I've been in the Bay Area. How'd you like Southern California? I loved it. Um, I So I lived at the beach a lot uh, or went to the beach a lot when I lived in Costa Rica, but I never like lived at the beach. Um, but in LA, I lived right by the beach and, you know, I, I like to play volleyball. So I'd go to the beach every weekend and uh, do that. And it was, it was super, super fun. I met all sorts of different people that I, you know, I had traveled the world pretty extensively, but um, was, I met lots of eclectic and really awesome people in LA. I also like really learned a lot about a lot more about the tech industry, particularly from trends and new mentors that I met and, and colleagues that really knew their stuff. And I think that people were doing things differently on the East Coast and the West Coast. 
uh, I've always had a hard time putting my finger on it, but they're just doing things in a little bit different beat of the rhythm, I guess. And so I got to meet all sorts of interesting, I loved LA and I still do. Um, yeah, it's an awesome, it's an awesome place. Did, uh, did Chili Piper find you or did, or were you, you know, kind of looking? Yeah, I get, I get that question a lot and it's a, it's an interesting story. So it happened organically, uh, probably the most organic story, um, of any of my jobs. So I was working at a company called Snack Nation at the time, uh, building out their SDR team and kind of running that. And uh, uh, one of my mentors went to a different company and then I was sort of really owning the SDR function about uh, a few months before he, he left, I implemented Chili Piper at that company. Uh, and, and I saw the enormous impact on like revenues for the team. And I said, wait a minute, there's something here. And then I, you wouldn't know that there was only like a couple people at the company because of how powerful the tool was. Mm. And I didn't even realize that there was like less than 10 people working there. And I have always been very, you know, focused on coaching and training and it's like idea of developing people and a company reached out to me when I was sort of ready to move on and they were like, Hey, like interview. And I did, but all the same time I was meeting with them, my current boss and CEO, Nicholas, uh, and he, we just have lots of intense, not intense, but lots of pretty deep conversations around sales, coaching, training, development, that sort of thing. Just like literally at the bar down the street from the Stack Nation office. And then <laughs> I like let him know one day that this company was trying to like recruit me. And I was very seriously, you know, I did like a, a huge presentation in front of like a huge boardroom people. And I had to sit in an office like with the actual team for like four hours, which is super interesting. That's a long um, time. Holy. And then he was like, well, why don't you come work here? <clears throat> yeah, I, I know. I never, I've never done an interview like that, but it was super informative. Uh, and so, uh, and so he's like, why don't you come work here? And then he basically put me through like a really short interview process. And then now I had two offers on the table and about, and about to have a third and fourth come in. And I was like, I need to just make a decision. And, the thing that brought me here was that um, he really cared about what I wanted and wasn't just like focused on what like, you know, it, and it was the smallest company and not only did they have a really good offer, but it was just like, sometimes it's those like intangibles that like matter the most. And for me, that was like really important at that time. And mm. that I would feel, feel really supported in whatever I did in that next role. And so, uh, yeah, and that's what keeps me here. Michael, let me ask you this. Uh, you, you, you know what I do at a high level. I'm in the, the sales training game. I get a chance to work with a lot of uh, sales representatives, some new, some tenured, uh, and but very lots of talented people out there. And you know, in the U.S., when there's you know 300 million you know people plus, call it 150 million potential workers and so forth, I have a belief that says that there's no shortage of talent out there. And so mm -hmm. when I think about what you just said to me regarding at one point in your career, still earlier on in your career, when you think about how many years you have left to, you know, to really work, mm -hmm. how do you think or why do you think you had four offers at one time? Like, what, what, what do you think the draw was to you? And that's not always an easy question to answer 
because it might sound like, oh, I'm pumping my own tires here, but there was something about you. What, what do you think that it was that was magnetic enough for these companies to say, no, we want you here? Yeah, I think it comes down to a couple of different things. I think one, like, sales development is what I was doing really heavily at the time. I've since, like, gravitated towards working with account managers, account executives, and sales development, so everything on the revenue side um, and the coaching, training, and developing, like, there. At the time, I was very heavy, heavily doubling down on the sales development and that was sort of uh, the focus. And so I, th I think sometimes there can be skills like deficits. There just aren't a ton of people that are super good at um, leading sales development teams. And so I think that there are like for people in sales that, you know, <laughs> if you want job security, become really good at that. So I, I, I do think that part of it is like a market driven thing. But I also think that there's something to be said about establishing like a true expertise in the area of uh, sales, uh, sales development and being able to drive, drive outcomes in a really empathetic way um, where you're both able to uh, drive these, you know, all these companies have these really aggressive revenue goals and they're extremely data driven. Like every company is like that right now. But I think like you have to have a human centered approach to that and really have a firm understanding of like, okay, well, like a team of people is what gets you to those metrics. Um, and so um, I think a lot of it came down to like expertise of the people management and then the technical knowledge of like sales and like the how to and getting teams to do that. So, you know, I thought about that a little bit of a question. That's probably my, my educated guess there. Well, you know, you're, you're less than 10 years into your career and what you've just shared is, um, is pretty cool, but also very impressive. So congrats on what you've been able to create thus far. I mean, you're just getting started. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, based on your experiences thus far and what you've gone through and what's worked and what hasn't, uh, if, if anybody came to you looking for a piece of advice, uh, any advice out there for anybody listening right now that's worked for you? Yeah, so I think sometimes like in the sales motion, uh, we, we get in this like maybe like redundancy. We get in this like you know, high level of rejection, high monotony of tasks. Like we get in this repetitive nature of doing things. Um, and we kind of, a, a lot of people that I have spoken to through my career could be a lot more in the direction of coachability, growth mindset, constant space of learning. And I, I think that the people that I'm, I'm learning from and the people, especially the salespeople, they are spending a lot of time on, on getting better. And so those people that are spending a lot of time on getting better, not just as like a onesie twosie type things, but something that is built into them as a habit. Um, that's what I'm seeing like working right now. This whole like, I, you know, what worked yesterday, you know, is not going to work you know, tomorrow it, it is very important. And, and I, I strongly encourage salespeople to, to constantly stay in this space of learning. And some examples of that might be, you know, uh, you know, you hear a lot of people complaining about, you know, how salespeople, you know, they'll take to LinkedIn and complain mm. about like a way that someone prospected them. And I think there's a general sentiment right now that 
salespeople don't always take the most buyer centric approach to the way that they sell. And I think like some of the ways that we can get around that is through entering this space of like constant learning and, and development and growth. And so that's always the thing that I recommend to salespeople is like, if you, you know, it sounds really simple, but the people who are doing this in practice and the people who are actually, um, you know, kind of doing the same thing every day, I, I just see the people that are, are, are really focusing on growing being the winners right now. So that's my biggest piece of advice. Well, I think it's great advice. And I think it's one that um, everybody listening would certainly be able to resonate with. And on that note, I think it's a great time to wrap this one up. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Michael, thanks for being here. I've enjoyed your story. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate it a ton. Absolutely. Listen, everybody, thanks for being here. Remember that your intention matters because that's the result you'll tend to get. We're out of here and we'll see you next week. Be safe, everybody. We'll get through this together.